guys. On today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, we're going to talk about a movie we saw last night, The Creator. Also, Netflix Today officially sends out their final DVD envelopes. It's the end of an era. Also, it's reported being now that the Marvels, the upcoming MCU film, is now officially the shortest running film in MCU history. Also, House of the Dragon, ah, forget the strikes. They finished production. Season two is now wrapped, and it looks like it's going to be ready for its release date on time. Also, Considering that shows used to come out one season every year, you know, like normal, and we have to wait so long, should TV shows consider shooting their seasons back to back? And James Gunn says that we can expect a lot of DC news in the upcoming days, and we've got the five big questions that we think we still have about the upcoming DCU. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campus Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet, Earth, the John Campus Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you some history, information, and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or maybe even different from ours. Uh, joining me, as always, we've got Ray Ora. Hey, happy Friday. Jonathan Voiko's here. It's Friday? The wonderful Chris Carr is here. <laughs> it is Friday. Nice. And uh, I forgot it's Friday. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show part of your day. And here's how the stream is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those topics that I listed off. Then in the last part of the show, we're going to take questions and topics from our YouTube channel members. We have a great group of supporters called our YouTube channel members. You guys <laughs> should become YouTube channel members. And every day we ask them to send in some topics and we get through as many as we can. Also, I want to remind you guys that if you need an audio fix of the John Campia Show or our open mic show, they both go on to our podcast feed, the John Campia Show podcast. Just go and look for it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. All right, guys, with that down, let's get into this. The brand new Gareth Edwards film with John David Washington, The Creator, is now out, and we went to go see it last night. Now, the early reactions for it came out and were stunning. Like, some people calling it the next installment of the all-time great sci-fi classics. Many calling it maybe the best film of the year, or at least one of the best films of the year. And it all got me pretty excited because I saw the preview for it at CinemaCon back in April. I wasn't all that thrilled, but then the latest trailer really got me into it. Went to go see it last night. Okay, I won't bury the lead. Here's, here's the basics of it. <laughs> it ain't one of the new all-time great classic sci-fi films. And I personally don't think it's going to end up in the top five films of the year. But The Creator is a very good movie. Like, I, I, I don't agree with the real big hype that it's got, but it is a solid, makes you think, makes you feel uh, entertaining movie that by the end of it, you know, Ray and I were there with his sister, my wife, and who by the end of it was just, as she would define it, ugly crying. Uh, so it's emotional. It, it asks, it makes, it does what some good sci-fi does. It makes you ask deeper questions. It doesn't make the any of the answers obvious or clear. You know, it really makes you think and wonder. You know, and a lot of people said, wow, this is a really relevant thing considering, you know, the topic of AI. 
really, at the end of the day, this movie's not about AI. AI more becomes representative of something else. Like there's always, in our human experience, to us, there's always the other. In this case, they just made the other AI. I honestly didn't find it asking very many deep questions about AI. It was really more deeper questions about our human condition, which I thought was quite interesting. The best thing I can say about this thing is the visuals in this movie are amazing. You know, it really reminded me a lot of District 9 because when District 9 came out, you know, we would look at it and say, how much did they make this money this movie for? About $800. Okay. Why does it look so perfect? And all the visual effects, and there's a lot of visual effects in this movie. They look perfect and flawless. And I looked at this movie like, how did they make this movie for $80 million? When Fast X is being made for $350 million, <laughs> how did they make this movie for $80 million? I don't know. John David Washington, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, John David Washington was really phenomenal. Strong when he had to be strong. Vulnerable when he had to be vulnerable. Flawed when the story needed the character to be flawed. Um, I, I just, and the kid. The kid is Alfie. <laughs> the, the little robot you see in the commercials says... I guess we're the same. You're not going to heaven because you're not a good person and I'm not going to heaven because I'm not a person. It's like, <laughs> and like in the trailer, that's a good scene. In the movie with context, even better. Um, yeah, so uh, look, there are some logic problems in the movie. It's like, wait a minute. If this is this, then how come that can possibly be that? I'm not going to say what they are, but there's a few of those things and some character decisions that are completely inconsistent with the characters or what a normal logical person would do. And so some of that takes away from it a little bit. Again, that's why I think it's being a little bit overhyped, but still at the end of the day, this is a movie I have no problem recommending to people. I'm probably going to see it at least one more time in theaters. I quite liked it. Ray, you had a chance. You were there watching it with me. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about the creator? Did, did you know that uh, John David Washington is uh, Denzel Washington? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. I, I heard did that. not know that. Look, look. Um, from the very beginning when we meet the AI in this, it reminded me, if anyone's played that game Strays, the cat game, right? Uh, the very first per robot you meet in there, it looked exactly like one of the robots. It had the like the short circuit did, yeah. head. I was blown away by the visuals on, on this. Like, I, I don't have a big sci-fi movie uh, library because I'm just getting into sci-fi now. Um, but this is one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen, I think. For me, I mean, you're right about the logic problems. We were out standing outside and we were talking about them. And I brought some up just to laugh about it. But it didn't take away from me liking or loving this movie. Right. I thought it was great. Everyone did a great job. Side characters did a great job. There was just so much atmosphere there that your eyes couldn't be taken off of the screen when they showed like those big uh, pan outs of the cities. You're like trying to look for every little thing that they put because there's villages that you see and you see a big building. But if you look to the right, there's like a smaller building that's just oh, as no, beautiful. They, they did not overlook the details. Yeah. They, they always paid close attention to the details and, and, and made everything and, feel real and lived in. Yeah. So I, I felt a, a lot of emotion in this at the end too. So yeah, I think everyone should go see it, find out for themselves. I, it's, it's a good movie. And me. by the way, I, I caught her in the trailer. I'm like, really? I forget the name of the actress. She's an, she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in I, Tonya. She's most known for West Wing, playing Claudia Jean, CJ. Um, oh, in Janney? West Wing. Or yeah, Jenny. Allison Janney? Allison Janney, yeah. She's in it. 
And she's really good. Like oh. she's really good uh, in in this. Anyway, guys. So yeah. Uh, overall, do I think this is a top five movie of the year? I don't. But do I think it's really good and it's completely worth your time to go see? Absolutely. I quite enjoyed the creator. All right. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Today marks the end of an era as Netflix officially sends out its final DVD envelopes. Mm -mm. Lest you forget, for those of you who might be like 13 or 14 or something like that watching the show, that you've just always thought Netflix was a streaming service. <laughs> Netflix started off with these red envelopes. It, 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 was a, it was a great, it was so far ahead of its time. You went on to their website, you created a queue of all the movies you want, and depending on the plan you had, they would mail out the top one, top two, or top three movies in your queue, and they'd mail them to you. And you'd get them in the mail in these red Netflix envelopes. And you could sit down with your little physical media DVD player. Oh, this was a great time to be Rob. It was just so fun to get them in the mail. It was. It was like it was like Christmas every day. Yeah. Like something came <laughs> yeah. in the mail. It's presents. And you'd get it, and it would be exciting, and you watch the movie, and then Netflix's website would automatically then put those movies you had down on queue, and your next movies would pop up. And what would happen is, as soon as you mailed back that one, two, or three movies, the next one, two, or three movies would get mailed to you. And that was the way us movie buffs enjoyed our home entertainment for a long time. It, it practically put Blockbuster and stuff like that out of business, and so they started off their own, but that's what it was. But like I said, everybody looks at Netflix now as a streaming service, and today... It all comes to end. This comes to us from Variety that said this. It's official. The end of the Netflix DVD era. The company is mailing out its very last red envelopes on Friday, September 29th. As a parting gift to its loyal DVD by mail members, Netflix will let them keep any discs they still have out. As a part of the final DVD shipment on September 29th, customers may be getting up to 10 extra red envelopes randomly selected from their queues if they opted to the uh, final surprise promo. The <laughs> Netflix rep confirmed that customers will not be charged for any unreturned discs. So if you've been sitting on a disc for like five years, yeah. good news, it's yours now. Nice. And beyond that, it's like, what's Netflix going to do with all these DVDs? Well, they're just going to say, well, are any of these movies on that person's list? Yeah, let's just send it to them. Nice. And you get to eat, a bunch of people are going to get 10 free DVDs today. Yeah, that's great. Chris, I mean, I remember last year we did a story about there were still like tens, if not like 100,000 people still subscribed to Netflix by mail. Yeah. And like that was a surprisingly large number to me. But I mean, this really was an era of entertainment. Like for so many of us, for their good chunk of years, we stopped going to Rogers Video in Canada. We stopped going to Blockbuster here because we just got our DVDs in the mail. We didn't have to go anywhere. No late fees, no nothing. It was incredible. And just even though I haven't given Netflix DVDs by mail a single thought in years, yeah. I am, my heart is sad today thinking that it's done. It's official. It's over. Did you and, uh, well, I don't even know if you and Logan would have been married by the time this was still going on, but because I can remember how long so. you guys were married. We, we've been she married for five school. years. Okay. As, so you, you guys would probably never subscribe to Netflix DVD individual no. or as a, as a couple. couple, but were you, was your household ever a Netflix DVD? Yeah. When subscriber? I was, when I was a kid, my dad switched to it, which I initially was bummed out by because I liked being taken to Blockbuster <laughs> and I liked going and picking out a movie based on the, you know, the cover of it and having right. my dad do that with me. And then it was like, no, no, Christine, this is so much better. We just go on here and then they send it to us. Just like when you get your AOL discs. 
There's a very wow. important statement. There's, right? there's a full throwback. So I begrudgingly went to Netflix. And then when I was in college, was like, this is so much easier to just like have a DVD mailed to me. This is great. This is wonderful. Um, Netflix actually put out a video called Long Live the Red Envelope Era. That is a very dated um, kind of walk down memory lane of how we all used to one- how play these DVDs, first of all, with like your old DVD player and kids drawing on it and stuff too. Um, showing the like, thanks for watching screen bouncing around for when your DVD player tried to sleep. Um, so if you weren't alive for this time, go check out that video. Um, do you guys know what the first and last DVDs were? What do you mean? I, that they've ever sent? Somebody oh. told me what the first DVD they shipped out the was. The first DVD was Beetlejuice, uh -huh. Tim Burton's oh Beetlejuice. Gosh. And the last DVD they sent out was True Grit, the 2010 version. Wow. Really? Yeah. You know, uh, the bottom of the queue, the max, because I found it. <laughs> what it's, is it? It's 800. You yeah. you had 800 movies in your queue? I needed to find the bottom. <laughs> I had to know how, just how many would it let Thank me have. And I reached bottom. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's a bigger topic of conversation too. Unfortunately, it goes towards the bigger conversation today about, you know, that physical media is dying. And, and I don't know that anything represented the dominance of physical media like the Netflix mail order service did. I mean, right up there with the big blockbuster sign you'd see driving down the road, whatever. It, it was really a symbol of the dominance of physical media. And, the fact that, well, I mean, Rogers Video and Blockbuster are no longer here. Now the Netflix mail thing is gone. It adds to that conversation as well. But, woo, I, I got to tell you, my heart is sad here today just knowing that it's not going to be there anymore. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, Marvel's got a new movie coming out pretty quick. The Marvels with Captain Marvel. And apparently now it is official. It is the shortest of all the MCU movies. According to AMC's official website, the runtime of the Marvels is one hour and 45 minutes, which actually really does make it uh, the shortest of all of them. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? <laughs> that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a question for our show and you'd like to hear your voice, go ahead and call it at 951-268-4259. So let's get to the Mint Mobile hotline question. Hey, John, this is Jack here from Missouri. Uh, I was wondering, the Marvels is apparently going to be an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, I know it's not a big deal or anything because we've had shorter Marvel movies in the past, but considering this is the shortest MCU movie in history, I think it's pretty wild to say. Uh, just let me know your thoughts, and thanks. All right, thanks a lot for calling that in. And, uh, yeah, uh, Ms. Marvel, going to be an hour and 45 minutes. But, but I'll tell you what, the bigger surprise to me about that news is not that it's an hour and 45 minutes. It's that an hour and 45 minutes is really the shortest movie the MCU has ever done. To me, hour and 45 minutes is a good solid runtime for a movie. I mean, I'm, I'm cool with them being two hours, two hours, 10 minutes, whatever. Every movie has the right runtime for it. There is no one size fit all. We've established longer does not equal better. Shorter does not equal better. Every movie has a runtime that is perfect for its story. It's just a matter of whether the filmmakers know what that perfect runtime is. Sometimes they make it drag on too long. Sometimes they don't get enough air and make it too short. But, you know, a lot of times it runs out. So, I mean, to put this in perspective, take a look at this. The shortest MCU movies before the Marvels now coming out, which again is at an hour and 45 minutes. Previous to that, the shortest MCU movies were The Incredible Hulk, a one hour and 52 minutes. 
Thor The Dark World, which was also one hour and 52 minutes, and in my opinion, one of the best MCU movies, the original Thor, directed by Kenneth Branagh, at one hour and 55 minutes. Whereas the longest ones, you had Eternals at two hours and 36 minutes, Black Panther 2 at two hours and 41 minutes, and Avengers Endgame at three hours and one minute long. So both of them have like a great movie in them. Both of them have some not so great movies in them. Again, it just goes to the point again that length does not equal quality. Longer does not equal better. Shorter does not necessarily equal better or worse for that matter. So it's 145. That's perfectly good with me. I mean, if we watch the movie, again, listen, we just talked about the creator. I really enjoyed the creator. Could have been about 10 to 15 minutes shorter. It did feel like it dragged a little bit here and there. Could have been 10 to 15 minutes shorter. For every movie, like you can put out a movie in an hour and a half and we go, that's the perfect runtime for it. A movie can be three hours and we can go, that was the perfect runtime for it. We'll see. Hopefully 145 is going to be the perfect runtime to get in all the story they want to tell, but also make it tight, make it crisp, make it have great pace. And maybe it'll come out of that. But again, Chris, to me, hearing an hour and 45, that's not surprising. Hearing an hour 45 now makes it the shortest out of all 26, 27, 28, 29 MCU movies. That actually, to me, is quite surprising. Does it strike you in any way, one way or the other, hearing the runtime of the Marvels? I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to hear that it's the, the shortest among them now. But I also feel like a lot of Marvel properties have suffered from bloat, where it has yeah. felt like they've dragged on or they've put too many characters and they've done something like that. What this makes me hope they're doing is that I hope that this is an action-packed hour 45. Right. Where we've already kind of got some little hints of what's happening here. We know from the trailers they're swapping places and stuff when they use their powers. Hopefully it's just, yeah, that's what's happening. Let's go. Let's figure it out. Let's dive right in. Exactly. Let's go. So (laughs) I'm hoping that that's the case. Um, That being said, Marvel lately has not been firing completely on all cylinders. No, they have not. Some hits and misses all throughout there. So this movie, I do feel, has a bit of pressure on it. You know, there's already people who are going to dislike this movie just inherently because of Brie Larson. Right. Right. And that's your business. But it also is fighting against, this is supposed to kind of usher in this new phase of Marvel, really. We've got two folks who have been in TV shows, but who are coming into the main stage, who are going to show that they can be power players in the MCU. So I'm hoping that that hour 45 is really, really well utilized and that it doesn't rely too much on the Ms. Marvel television show, on the WandaVision television show to make this work. I want people to be able to jump in. And traditionally, one of the things Marvel's been really good at is not make, for the audience, not make pre-existing knowledge required. Yeah. Right? Traditionally, they've been really good at that. Lately, not so it's much. not as much lately, right? So we'll see how that all goes. I am just dying to see this movie just because of Kamala Khan, just because of Iman Vellani playing Iman Ms. Vellani Marvel. Iman Vellani is a treasure. I, like, by the way, in front of Creator, they played a new trailer I'd never seen for uh, oh, really? Marvels. Yeah. Oh, nice. And it was it was quite good. It was. I, I mean, you know, I did not like the first couple of trailers they put out. The last one I thought was pretty good. This one was also pretty good. So we'll see how that goes. All right. I, real quick, yes. Amon Vellani, I believe, also just had um, her own issue of Miss Marvel release yes. that she's been working on, too. So. Yep. She, the, I think in August. We were all her. very excited mm-hmm. about. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to buy it. All right. With that down, guys, let's go on and talk about this. Uh, there was a headline that caught my attention uh, this morning that ended up being a little bit of a clickbait thing. It says, Aladdin 2, confirmation, release details, and blah, blah, blah. As it turns out, 
there is no Aladdin 2 confirmation. I read the source like, well, that was rather misleading. But that aside, it did really get me thinking about Aladdin 2. Because the first Aladdin movie that came out, I believe in 2019, uh, May of 2019, came out. A lot of us went into it with a lot of questions, right? Like none of us had heard of the, the new lead kid, Mina Massoud. None of us had ever heard of him. Uh, Will Smith being picked to play the genie. Okay. I mean, look, there was nobody you could cast in the role of the genie, the role that Robin Williams made immortal. There's nobody they could have cast that everybody would have gone, yeah, that's great. That's going to be a great, nobody would have been happy with everybody. And so with Will Smith, they picked him and there were some of us thought this has potential. And some people thought that this was bad, but whatever. The movie comes out and it's, to me, amazing. I loved Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. It's not as good as the original animated, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic. My wife and I walked home from the theater, talked about it, turned around, walked back to the movie theater and watched it again. Uh, and then proceeded to watch it more times in theaters. We really had a great time with it. It was a wonderful little movie. And the question has been, where's the sequel? We've been talking about it. And I think we've landed on the decision or I, at least I've come to a conclusion here that I don't know if many of you will share, maybe all of you share, maybe none of you will, but that the Will Smith slap on Chris Rock, I think killed Aladdin too. Uh, let's go back and look at the timeline of this, shall we? As we're looking at Aladdin. In May of 2019, Aladdin comes out in theaters, goes on to make over a billion dollars, which even the most optimistic people like me did not think in a million years this movie was going to make over a billion, but it did. Word of mouth was hot. People kept going back to see it, bringing more audiences, made over a billion dollars. Now, fast forward to February of 2020, and in Variety Magazine itself, they have a big story that Disney has confirmed that Aladdin 2 is officially in the works. Now, probably was never going to be Return of Jafar, but it was probably going to be like a new original story. The way they did the first one really did set it up that there's more story to tell with these characters. I was very excited about it. So as early as February 2020, Disney was saying, confirmed, it's in the works. We're making this movie. Then, and then we'd hear little chatter here and there about what was going on and stuff like that. Then March of 2022 comes. Will Smith, in all of his wisdom, decides to walk on stage and physically assault Chris Rock and smacks him on live television at the Oscars, uh, ruining a very carefully, wonderfully crafted public image that he, has, he had had for most of his life. Um, and I still love Will Smith. I do. But that was monumentally stupid, what he did. And after March of 2022, nearly a full year passed where we heard nothing. All of a sudden, nobody was talking about Aladdin 2 anymore, the possibilities of it, until March of 2023, when the star of Aladdin, Mina Massoud, said this, that in responding to somebody on social media, that the possibilities of Aladdin 2 were now very unlikely. Mm. Wasn't going to happen. Look, lots of movies have a plan to get made, and then a million different things come along that prevent it from ever happening. It happens all the time in the business. But this Aladdin thing was something that, you know, no pun intended, captured magic in a bottle, was an astounding success, exceeded all expectations, made over a billion dollars at the box office, and headlines and things like, Variety and whatnot, declaring that Disney has officially planned, it's in the works, it's moving, it's going, this movie's going to happen. 
honestly, even though I acknowledge we're in a business where a lot of different things can happen, I think we can safely say at this point now in 2023, heading into 2024, this movie, number one, is never going to happen. And number two, I think it's safe to say that the incident, we're still feeling the repercussions of the incident at the Oscars. I think the Will Smith slap killed this movie, which is, again, is a really unfortunate thing. And listen, before you make any assumptions, I am not an anti-Will Smith guy. I, I love Will Smith. I'm a, I've been a big fan of his for a very, very long time. And I think he deserves an opportunity to rehabilitate his image and go on and continue to make movies giving great performances. I do, but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences to actions. And I think this is the newest on the list of the consequences is that I, I think this movie would have been made 100%. I think they might have even been in production of this movie by now if it wasn't for the slap at the Oscars. I, I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess. Anyway, Chris, as we look at the timeline of everything that happened with Aladdin, claims that they were going to do another one, when the slap happened, the fact that we hadn't heard anything since, and then just a few months ago, Mina Masoud saying it's pretty unlikely this scene's going to happen. Number one, do you still think there's a chance they could do this? And if it doesn't get made, do you agree with me that I think probably it was the slap that did it? Or do you think it could be one of the other million things in this industry that have stopped other movies from getting made too? How do you see it? I do think it's the slap, unfortunately. And to be clear, obviously, anytime somebody does something, there should be consequences. That being said, and this could be maybe because Hollywood is changing and we are cracking down more on bad behavior than we have in the past. I brought this up when the slap happened. I know Aaron brought this up quite a bit too. So many more egregious things have happened and people's careers have been allowed to continue. And I mean, really horrific crimes. Assault is no joke. Smacking somebody is no joke. Although the memes have been delightful. Thank you for those. But so many other people in Hollywood have behaved so much more egregiously multiple times and have been allowed to return. So it's unfortunate that this incident is seemingly the deal breaker of Will Smith's career. Now, time will tell if that's actually true. I do think there's still hope for this movie because it made so much gosh dang money. And Disney loves money. I mean, we all do, but Disney really likes it. That mouse needs his cheddar, and this movie provided it. <laughs> and in a world where so many of the live-action adaptations have not really sung, you know, Little Mermaid, eventually, she found her legs. She eventually did quite well. Cinderella, well done, but not a huge box office no, success by any means. It was means. great, but it did yeah. not, was not a box office hit Beauty and the stretch. Beast, meh. This was one of those rare occasions where the live action really worked for people and did well. So I think that Disney's going to try to circle back to this and come back to it and figure something out. Because you can do something else. I mean, Return of Jafar, they replaced Robin Williams' voice with a sound-alike. And I know live action is different. And then eventually Robin Williams came back for the third installment for Aladdin uh, versus the King of Thieves. Um, Maybe they go King of Thieves. Maybe they make it less about the genie since he's freed. Maybe they figure out some other way to go about it. Or they just bring Will Smith back after things have calmed down a little bit. I think bit. part of the problem was that it, it airs on ABC, right? The awards? Yeah. Yes. That's Disney-owned. Yeah. Well, I mean, did th that in Iger's house. That, that, there's two problems, right? Like we t Obviously, there's been more egregious behavior in Hollywood. Yes. Very rarely was it broadcast live on national television at an event like the Oscars. You know, at, I mean, that was a huge thing. Then the second part of that is, I think most people agree Will Smith should be allowed to come back. But you're talking about a Disney film about a children's property 
with a guy who literally at the Oscars, who should have fucking known better, yeah. got up, walked up, made it all about him, walked up on stage and physically assaulted somebody over a joke. And like, if we're talking about bad boys, that's different, right? That's why they are making another bad boys and Will Smith's going to be in that. But this is a chill, a Disney children's film. It, I think that the circumstances make it even a little bit more precarious. It's a little bit more challenging. So, and I listen, I am also going to keep my fingers crossed that this happens. I love the first one. I would love to see these characters continue into a second one, especially if Guy Ritchie comes back to direct it again. I would love to see it. I, at this point, I just don't see it happening, unfortunately. All right, guys, listen. We still have a number of things to discuss here. Things like House of the Dragon has officially finished filming season two. Should television shows be shooting their seasons back to back? And James Gunn talking about new DC news coming out. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode. Our friends, the most comfortable shoes I ever wore in my life, Vessi. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Vessi. Now, like me, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Vessi, the shoe that claims to be incredibly comfortable and waterproof on top of that. Well, these claims are really interesting to me because as a Canadian who walked around in a lot of snow and as somebody who likes to go camping and hiking with his wife on the weekends, there's nothing more uncomfortable and horrible than walking around in wet feet. So after receiving my first pair of Vessis and noticing how incredibly good looking the shoes are and how mind-boggling comfortable and flexible they are, the first thing I did was I took them into the backyard to put it to the supreme waterproof test and dipped my feet in my pool. Guys, my feet were bone dry and like 20 seconds after having them in the pool and I touched them, the shoes themselves were also bone dry. Guys, seriously, these shoes are stupidly comfortable. They look great and they absolutely lived up to the claim of being waterproof and keeping my feet dry. I absolutely love my Vessi shoes. So guys, if you want shoes that are good looking, are ridiculously comfortable and on on top of all that waterproof, you need to head to Vessi.com slash Campia and get yourselves a pair today. Go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get shoes for your best summer yet. And thank you to our friends at Vessi for making the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn. And of course, for being a sponsor of today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this. House of the Dragon season two has now completed shooting which is big news in two different ways. Number one, it's one of, if not the best show on television right now. And number two, how the heck did they finish shooting this thing <laughs> when a writer and an actor strike has been going on? Well, those answers are given to us by the folks over at Variety who wrote the following. The hit HBO show finished filming in its second season during the Hollywood strikes. Even though most major television shows were forced to halt production over the summer because their cast and crew were members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, House of the Dragon Season 2 was permitted to continue filming since scripts were already complete and everyone involved was working under the United Kingdom Union contracts. So that comes us from Variety. Now, I'll tell you why that surprised me. I thought that... I understand, listen, I understand there's European Union rules and different unions and stuff like that, but there are a number of people in House of the Dragon who, while members of those European unions, are also members of the SAG union. So I thought they would have to be striking too, regardless. I guess not. I guess that's not the case. So House of the Dragon, season two shot. So Variety also went on to say they are aiming to now release on schedule, which is summer of 2024. So we're about nine months away, probably, from House of the Dragon season two. <laughs> I cannot wait. 
I mean, between that and Last of Us, I, I, I don't know what the best show on TV is the last two or three years. I thought the Lord of the Rings show was going to be the best show on TV Woo. in years. Yeah, yeah, I still liked it more than most people, but it didn't come anywhere. It had it had a lot of good coward. moments. It had its moments, I'll but it didn't come anywhere near it. my expectations. Yeah. Came nowhere close I to my was expectations. So excited. And it ended up being like House of the Dragon and Last of Us just absolutely ruled. And uh just incredible. Cannot wait to see this thing come back. But it raises a, a question for me. I wonder if as in the future, now I'm just you know speculating here, but if sometime in the future as you know because these writer strikes or writer contracts and actors contracts they only last three years they don't they very rarely go on strike but i mean they only last three years i wonder if some tv networks or some studios might look at this and say you know we know we're going to be coming into a contract log jam in 18 months let's take this show that we were going to shoot in atlanta or this show that we were going to shoot in Los Angeles, or that we were going to shoot in New York. Let's go overseas and film it in Europe. Let's do it under the European contracts and get it there. So even if strikes happen here, we can pull a House of the Dragon and still continue shooting, make our show, even though it's going to HBO and HBO Max and all that kind of stuff. I, I wonder, or I wonder if this is something that maybe the unions are going to look to close the loophole on. I don't know. Either way, Chris, I'm thrilled. House of the Dragon season two actually finished production. Yeah. Although as a member of SAG, can you shed any more light on this, on how this works again? Like some people are members of SAG yet under the other union. How did this all work? And could there be repercussions of this or could we see this affect other productions moving forward? How do you see it? So it would actually have been illegal for them to strike based on a labor law written in 1992. So uh, there is the Trade Union and Labor Relations Consolidation Act of 1992. And under Section 224, it says that it is illegal for the UK to sympathy strike with their fellow actors or other unions across the pond. So this comes from uh, The Hollywood Reporter. This is back in July. Daniel Parsons, who's a employment law partner at the UK law firm Irwin Mitchell, explains it thusly. Equity cannot simply call a strike in sympathy with SAG-AFTRA members in the US, as this would be likely to be classed as a secondary action, which is unlawful in the UK. So they could not strike. And if they wanted to and did so, they'd get in legal trouble. But what about actors who are members of SAG and members of the other union? Because they're working them? under the UK contract, yeah, different, different this labor law is the one that's going to kind of trump everything else. That's so fascinating that's because the they'd be getting paid in, in Europe. So mm -hmm, Exactly. They're getting paid out by European com uh, companies on that UK contract. So that's how that all works. Because, um, yeah, that was a big to-do at first when the union strike was... Uh, first announced both for the writers and the actors um, just because you know other shows like Bad Sisters on Apple TV the writer for that was saying how she felt so weird going forward in production but she's part of a UK writers association she's uh, part of that union and it was but my friends are all doing this and I work in the US so it feels kind of weird so that's how that kind of loophole happened now I'm sure smart executives might have seen all of this and gone, oh yeah, three years from now, let's see if we can do a whole bunch of production over in London. We can work on those sound stages. We can be like Star Wars. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> I am wondering how my union is already tackling that as well. 
I'm wondering if there are going to be any provisionary issues in there of, well, within this amount of time, this amount of labor has to be done in the U.S. or this has to be done through these payroll companies or something like that. I'm sure it's going to be a bunch of weird, nitty gritty legalese minutia that they'll fight for. Uh, that all down, really excited about House of the Dragon coming back, especially <laughs> because I, I feel like we all made this this huge arduous gap in between everything of mm. we're not getting this show for so long oh my gosh there's going to be an even bigger time jump oh this is going to be wild i i feel like we're getting this right on time i don't i just remember I us like, reporting on it and being like oh it's so far away i feel like because the actor strikes in it and the writer strikes took place it time kind violation. of like it, yeah kind of <laughs> like oh all this was going everything stopped so we didn't really think about it and it's like hey we've actually hit the, the yeah. deadline for this they did yeah. their thing but let's not forget, too, when uh, House of the Dragon first ended, and then I think it was like the next day or two where people were asking the creator, when is season two coming out? And he said something like, it wasn't that fo- the next year, but the following year. They said probably at least two years yeah. is what they said. And yeah. I think that hurts, especially if you love the show like a lot. Just to hear that, it seems like a long time, but after everything that's happened, it's right around the corner now. <laughs> well, and that is a perfect transition into our next topic. (laughs) And our next topic is this. You know, it wasn't that long ago, and and still with many shows today, a new season of a show would come out every year. That's the way it was. But we've been seeing more and more, like in cases of House of the Dragon and whatnot, that sometimes a year, sometimes two years in between seasons, sometimes even more. And that is the topic of this next hotline question. Let's go and check it out. Hello, John Camp here and the crew of this field, coming from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I remember in the early 2000s, TV shows were like releasing seasons almost every year. But now I'm seeing shows like Stranger Things that take like three years before we get another season. I was thinking, do you think it would be okay for uh, TV shows to shoot uh, season back to back? Like shoot uh, two, three seasons back to back and that way they can be able to release uh, one season why they'd be working on the other one to release it earlier because come on everybody don't have time to be waiting some of us are getting old let me know your thought on this and bring on the filthy have a wonderful day we are indeed getting old some of us are getting old let's Man. go let's go, <laughs> let's go. Um, I, this is a very interesting question I, I actually love this question because I am I am of two minds on it on the one hand It is frustrating to me as a television fan when shows have to take two years or more in between seasons. Now, I always hear the same excuse that fans will make for it. Well, I'd rather they make sure that they take the time and do it right. Right? You know what? A lot of people think The Wire is the greatest show ever made on television. They put out a new season every year. A lot of people think Sopranos was the greatest show of all time. They they, they managed to do it right and, and pretty much, for the most part, put out a new show every year. Most of Game of Thrones managed to put out a new season every year. Why is it other people could always do it right and put out a new season every year? A lot of those shows were 20-something episodes, too, and they managed to do it right. Why all of a sudden do you need two or three years? So I admit, I've always, you guys, if you've watched this show for any period of time, you know I've always been frustrated with that. Whenever I've heard about a show that I really quite like and it's going to take a while for them to get a new one in, I, I, I lament a little bit. It's like, how come they've always been able to do this and all of a sudden now you can't? That aside, 
I have always advocated as well for movies that I think if your studio knows you have a very, very, very high chance of success shooting your first two movies back to back, or if not your first two, maybe your second and third, like once the first movie came out, you know, it works, put out the second, just film the second and third back to back. You'll save a ton of money in production and logistics, and you'll, you'll be ahead of the curve and all that kind of stuff. I like that idea, but with television, I think it's a little bit more tricky because Let's look at it this way. It's easy for us now, and people including me, to look back in hindsight and say, well, House of the Dragon is one of the greatest shows we've had in years. Why didn't they just shoot the first two seasons back to back? But lest we forget, going into House of the Dragon, before episode one dropped, there was a hell of a lot of people that were just proclaiming, oh, this is going to suck. This is going to suck. Right? A lot of people thought that. The studios, doesn't matter how good they knew their show was, they didn't know how people were going to react to it. And so I think it would have been very financially irresponsible of them. And though, again, in hindsight, I wish they had shot the first two seasons just back to back, kept production going, and just had it all done. But that would have been a major gamble, a huge gamble that could have backfired very, very quickly. Because there are a lot of shows that don't make it one or two seasons. And then here's the other difference too. Television is a little bit more fickle than movies, right? One season of a show can pretty much kill the momentum of a show. It's very rare that you get something like Stranger Things that can go two, three, four, five seasons and it's just banger for the audiences all the time. They love it and you know what you got. But it's also not coincidence that it's like one of the only shows on Netflix that has like five seasons. One, one of the only narrative shows on Netflix that has like five seasons. I, I, I do wonder how many seasons did Naked Attraction get? I'm not sure. I'm sure it beat Stranger Things, though. Um, <laughs> that aside, I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, it would be interesting to see. But like, again, so even with a hit show like House of the Dragon, it would be a major gamble to now that you know that season one is a hit, that doesn't mean the audience is going to love season two. And again, it's a little bit more fickle than it is with a movie because with a movie, you're making a two-hour story, boom, and if it doesn't hit as well, the audience could be more forgiving about it. But a season of TV that doesn't hit, it's weird. So I'll tell you what, Chris, in theory, I like the idea of shooting seasons back-to-back. In theory. Sure. I don't know if I'm an executive that I pull the trigger on that because I think it's a, a little bit too much of a gamble. How do you see this? I mean, I really like doing whatever I want. Fuck the consequences. Money doesn't matter. <laughs> when it's not your money. But it's, yeah, when it's not my money. Yeah, shoot all of it. Do five seasons right now. Five seasons in a, sh- a movie. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, first of all, there's eight seasons of Naked Attraction. That so. show made it eight seasons? Yes, been, and oh there have been God. some specials. Known as the best naughty bits. Oh, excuse me. No, there's some season nine. Season, wait, what? It keeps going. Wow. People can't get enough of looking at junk. No. There we go. You know, it's fun stuff. But back to the actual topic here. <laughs> yeah, if you, something like Dune, right? That was one that it was a no-brainer of, well, you know you're going to make part two. Yeah, so you just got, let him yeah make they should have done two. that one back to back. That Absolutely. one would have made sense. And I probably would have enjoyed it more if I'd gotten to see it back to back like that. For television, to your point too, we kind of don't know how people are going to tune in weekly. We don't know if a show is going to take off. Yeah. Um, we don't know if schedules are going to permit people to commit to that amount of time. I love the idea of being able to film something 
fully like that. I would love it if, you know, some of our Star Wars or Marvel shows got to take that approach so it could have some things that were more succinct. I would love that for, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Stranger Things, it would have been great. We wouldn't have had these huge time jumps, at least in terms of the actual actors' ages, where we're like, no, they're still in high school. Um, (laughs) But it's money. It comes down to money. And it isn't financially viable to shoot shows like that. It just really isn't. So yeah, I'd love to see it if they could do it. I, I just think it's a really, really, really big risk. I mean, maybe if it's something like a Stranger Things that gets into five seasons and they decide, you know what, we're going to do two final seasons. That show that has had that long of a track record of success and yeah, that long of a faithful following. That makes sense. Then I could see you doing like a season six and seven back to back, but otherwise it's pretty tricky. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? James Gunn has just let it be known that we can probably expect to hear some more details and stories and news regarding the upcoming DCU. Now, obviously, recently, it's actually been pretty quiet because for four months, there's been a writer's strike. But the question got posed to James Gunn, hey, when can we start expecting to hear more stuff and a few more details about the upcoming universe that you and Peter Safran are creating? And in Deadline, they talk about how James Gunn said the following. He said this, Gunn responded, I don't even know where we are with everything as I haven't been able to talk with our writers while this has been happening. Remember, the writers haven't even been able to talk to the studio executives. In this case, James Gunn is a studio executive, so they haven't even been able to communicate with each other. I haven't been able to talk with our writers while this has been happening. That's been almost five months. Although I'm very happy with the outcome, the strike was a real wrench in the process for sure. So I'll have to see where we are on everything Jonathan, can we move the... Uh, uh, I'll have to see where we are in everything. Is it... Uh, you got to take down my picture. Oh, uh, gotcha. I thought it was scrollable. There we go. For the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I'd imagine more news out in the not-too-distant future. Okay. So what James Gunn is basically saying here is, look, I haven't even been able to speak with the writers in almost half a year. So I, I'm not completely sure where we are on completely everything. But yes... Now that the writer's strike is ended, all development can go full steam ahead. They don't need the actors in order to go full steam ahead on development. And I assume we're going to be able to give you more news in the not-too-distant future. Now, the last time James Gunn said something like that, we ended up getting the full DC 10 project announcement, (laughs) all kind of stuff. And while I don't expect something of that grandeur coming up, I don't expect Peter Safran and James Gunn to all of a sudden come out and tell us what the next the next 10 projects we're going to be doing. I do expect some significant news to come out here shortly. But that raises the question, what news is there that we're still waiting on? And I think there is a lot. But I thought I would kind of, just for fun, break it down into what I think are the five biggest pieces of information that we are still waiting on as fans when it comes to DCU. Again, I think there are hundreds of questions that a lot of fans have. But these are the five big things that I hope news addresses shortly. The five biggest pieces of news I'm looking forward to. All right. We're going to start with this one. I think this is the number one on most people's minds. <laughs> Who's going to play Batman? Yeah. I think that is a real, real big question. Um, what is the name of the movie again? Brave and the Bold? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Batman, Brave and the Bold. We know Batman. is in it. It's Batman. Uh, we're going to have a Robin who I think is going to be his, uh, his kid, Damien. Yeah is going to be uh, that Robin. So who is going to play this Batman? And and that these are questions that are going to start to hit, like heat up, especially as we get closer, because that Brave and the Bold movie is not that far away. 
So they've got to be in the process of looking about who's going to be casting in this, writing the scripts, all that kind of stuff. And I believe this is the one that uh, the the director of The Flash is going to be directing. Yes. Uh, Andy Muschietti? Muschietti. Yeah. Who I thought, I don't care what anybody else says, I thought Andy Muschietti did a fabulous job on that Flash movie. I thought he did a really, really good job on that Flash movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does there. So I think the number one question that everybody's waiting to hear is who's going to play the new Batman? The next question up, I think, is this. Who's going to be Superman Legacy's villain? You know, we've got our casting, by the way, terrific casting for Superman and Lois, for Superman Legacy. But... The big question, and we already know Nathan Fillion's going to be in there. We know a, bunch, a number of the secondary characters. They've made those announcements, other castings for it as well. But we're still sitting here not knowing who's the villain of the movie. We don't need to know who it is right now, but I think that's the big question regarding Superman Legacy that a lot of us still have hanging over us. So, yeah, number one question, who's going to play Batman? Number two, who's going to be the villain of Superman Legacy? I think the third big question is, are we getting a new Wonder Woman? Um... Gal Gadot muddied the waters a bunch recently when she said, oh no, me and James are talking, we're still going to blah, blah, blah. And then a report came out from a rep at Warner Brothers saying, nah, that never happened. <laughs> like that conversation never happened. So it looked like for a little while that Gal was still going to be Wonder Woman in the new DCU. I think it's now become apparent she is not going to be the Wonder Woman in the DCU. But, you know, in that big James Gunn, Peter Safran announcement about the 10 projects, other than a Themyscira thing, no word of Wonder Woman right? There's no no Wonder Woman in there anywhere. So are we getting another Wonder Woman in DCU? And and, and who's going to play it? And all that. Still a lot of questions surrounding the Wonder Woman thing. So I think that's one of them. All right. Who's going to be Batman? Who's going to be the villain Superman Legacy? Are we getting a new Wonder Woman? I think the fourth question is this. Who's Jason Momoa going to be playing? I think that's one a lot of people are still are asking. Because we all remember six months ago or whatever, when Jason Momoa came out of you know, that meeting with David Zaslav and, and James Gunn and Peter Safran, like literally doing his best, best Ric Flair, still on the grounds of Warner Brothers, looking like a kid in a candy store going, woo, like so excited about whatever it was they just told him about the upcoming DC universe. And he was freaking out. Well, we know he ain't going to be Aquaman anymore. So he's going to be somebody else in this universe. Maybe Wonder Woman. Maybe we just, maybe <laughs> questions three and four just yeah. answered themselves. Boom. Now, I think a lot of the assumption out there, because it's a big fan casting, is that it's Lobo. It very well may not be Lobo. Although if it is Lobo, I think a lot of people are going to be very happy. Like some people feel like he was born to play Lobo. Um, so who is Jason Momoa going to play? I think that's one of the big questions on people's mind. And this fifth question maybe shouldn't even be on this list. Because it's not one that I expect James Gunn or Peter Safran to announce in a piece of news anytime soon. But the question is this. What is the tone going to be? Like, the MCU has a definitive tone. Even though a movie like Winter Soldier and, say, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania are very, very, very fundamentally different movies, they do feel like they exist in the same reality. They, 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 have, they feel like they're a part of the same world, right? They inhabit each other's existences. And I'm curious to see, I think a lot of people are worried that James Gunn is just going to make the entire DCEU like a James Gunn movie. I don't think that's going to be the case. James Gunn is not going to be directing much of the stuff in the DCU, right? We're bringing in other directors and other things are going to bring different stuff, but they got to set an overall tone. And I think some people are wanting it to be like Guardians of the Galaxy. Some people are afraid it's going to be like Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think the overall tone of this DCU is going to be 
you know, um, I, the Suicide Squad that he did. I don't think that's necessary. I think there's going to be elements of it, but I don't know that's going to, but I think that is still, even though it's not an announcement we can look forward to, I think that's a big question. So I personally think the big five questions as of right now are, who's going to play the new Batman? Who's going to be the villain in Superman Legacy? Are we getting another Wonder Woman or not? Who indeed is Jason Momoa going to be playing? And uh, what's the tone going to be? Anyway, Chris, James Gunn says, yeah, new news coming soon. What type of news do you think he's going to be announcing to us? And do you think I left off any like big questions that the fan base has right now? The only thing else I can think of in here is just if we're ever going to address the Elseworlds in the room. Mm. Is it going to have any multiverse kind of things of, well, over on, you know, this earth over here, this is happening. God, I hope Are not. we ever getting into that? Or is it just, it's a different universe. Don't worry about it. Battenson gets to hang out over here and do every rendition of seven he wants to. All yeah. right, just let him do it. So that's the only thing on there. I really do think Batman and then who your big bat against soups is are really the big points here. I think that's what people are really, really interested in right now. One, because of the Battenson of it all, of, well, we know we have a Batman, but who is the Batman? Who yeah. is the one who's part of this? Who's going to be the one that inhabits the DC universe? Exactly. And then another kind of tertiary question here that I think Superman Legacy will be addressing is is, you know, which version of the Justice League are we getting, right? Mm. Are we going to see a lot of team-ups? Because Batman Brave and the Bold historically has been a team-up series for Batman, where he's not necessarily the focal point. It's about him working with somebody else. Is that going to be the tone of, of the DCU about how it's a very collaborative effort, how it's all these people working together? Or are we going to have more standalone kind of options here where it's not as interwoven as a Marvel Cinematic Universe? So I really think, though, a lot of people want to know who that Batman is and then who Superman is going to be fighting. Are we getting Lex Luthor? Is it too early to start talking about Darkseid? What's going on there? I obviously think Luthor or Brainiac are the ones you kind of start with. And as Ray brings up all the time, and I'm totally with him here. Where's Blade? What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Where's Blade in the DCU? Um, oh, he's got to yeah. announce his Blade I, in the DCU. Yeah. He's got to go somewhere. I really think they're going to... I hope they at least look to my adventures with Superman with how to start yes. off with a young Superman, how he deals with walking through the world and how you introduce those big villains. Because we have him in that show dealing with some of the, the more BC string kind of people. And it's all building up to then this big reveal of, oh, that's who he's going to be up against. He's just been getting his footing and he barely made it there. Now we're throwing in these guys. Oh, how's he going to handle that? Because then you also get rid of one of the biggest problems with Superman, which is his invulnerability and invincibility of, well, yeah, who can take him down then? Yep. When you have a, I still don't know what my powers are. I still don't know my own strength. That's so much more interesting and can lead up to those really epic big bags and have such a good payoff. All right, guys. With that all down now, we're going to move over and start taking questions and comments from our YouTube channel members. We put out a call a little bit earlier for our YouTube channel members sending any topics they'd like us to discuss. We're going to get through as many as we can. But before we get to that, we're going to take just a quick second and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, 
Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone. But now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills. Like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show all right guys with that done let's get over to our youtube channel member questions shall we chris what do we got up first from dr stinky hey john and crew what are some of the worst movies you have ever seen my three would be number one spawn <gasps> number two dumb and dumber silly number three what? idiocracy Anyway, happy Friday. Love y'all. Bring on the filthy. I Two mean, of those are supposed to be stupid. Spawn is garbage, but Dumb and Spawn. Dumber? That's one of the greatest. But hey, listen, that's the it's thing. By the idiocracy, that's an incredibly in- intelligent movie, actually, with this commentary on society. But hey, listen, that's the beautiful thing about art. We all have different opinions. It hits us all in different ways. For me, I have my unholy trinity, the top three worst all-time wide-release Hollywood movies. I don't want Those are, in no particular order, Highlander 2, yeah. Catwoman, and Battlefield Earth. Okay. Mm. Those to me are the yeah. three worst big, wide-release Hollywood films. I haven't films seen ever. any of those. No, you're lucky. Yeah. You are lucky. The, you are very, very lucky. My worst is The Spirit. The Spirit is such a Spirit's bad movie. Spirit's pretty bad. It's so horrendous. I'm mad about that movie like once a week. <laughs> At least once a week. Yeah, it just lives in my head rent free. It prevents you from watching uh, Suits. It really, gets- honestly, it was one of the factors where I was like, you motherfucker, I know what <laughs> you you've done. Spirit. All right, what's next? From, oh, uh, Dajaboo. Gen V is incredible. Love the pop culture digs. The PewDiePie Nazi one made me LOL. And how they grounded these kids' powers. In love with Florence Pugh's little sister, Emma, little cricket. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know any what you're talking about because no. I haven't seen it. Last night, I, I was out watching uh, The Creator, so I didn't have a chance. I'm dying to watch Gen V. I'm definitely going to do that tonight. Um, but I, I love, like, for a while, I was holding 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. I saw it drop down, I think, to 95. Can you check oh, what yeah. Gen V is at? That out for you right I think now. it dropped down to 95, uh, all the way to 95. Total flop. Uh, it's at, total uh, bust. Well, once you go woke, you go broke. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it would be a hundred if you didn't have a girl in it. Yeah. Um, if they didn't talk about all this like social commentary, <laughs> it'd be so much better. What if they make it political? Um, I I can't wait to watch it. So I'm very very stoked. It's at ninety six. All right. Okay. What's next? From Alan. Happy Friday, Campia crew. I was looking at the box office for every Phase Three MCU film. Six out of the eleven films hit the billion dollar mark. Yeah. It's amazing how successful those movies were. I'm wondering which film will be next to hit the billion dollar mark. Maybe Kang Dynasty. Have a great weekend. Well, I mean, it's not going to be, I mean, they're not helping their cause by putting out a lot of mediocre product lately. So they're not, they're not helping their cause. Uh, so it's not going to be the Marvels. That's not going to be the billion dollar film. 
I can't even remember what's up next after that, to be honest with you. Like they've moved and shifted everything around so much that I can't even remember what's supposed to come out next. No I mean, I, I'm going to assume that the next Avengers proper movie, Kang Dynasty, if it's still called Kang Dynasty by the time it comes around, uh, will probably be the next. I don't see another one doing it, though, before then right now. I mean, a lot of people say, John, we talk about Fantastic Four. I don't even know when Fantastic Four is supposed to come out off the top of my head. But like a lot of people say, Fantastic Four, John, obviously Fantastic Four is going to be a billion dollar film. Based on what? <laughs> Like, no, because Guardians didn't even make a billion, and that's a beloved franchise. Yeah, not like the Guardians, and but but again, when people say to me, John, the, the yeah, like Fantastic Four will definitely make a billion. I'm like, but it, it might be Captain America that's next. Nah, not without Steve Rogers. I mean, the Captain America. No, no, oh, I mean, what, what's coming next. up in the schedule? Oh, yeah. yeah, actually, yeah. MCU. New World Order, and then Thunderbolts is going to be around there too. Or um, Deadpool but, three, if you include that into the which MCU. three? Deadpool three comes out. Uh, oh yeah, I mean Deadpool three. That's the next that billion has, dollar yeah. film. That's the next billion dollar film. As long as it doesn't completely suck, which I have a hard time imagining it would, but as long as Deadpool 3 doesn't completely suck, that'll be the next billion dollar movie. But Thunderbolts, I'm really excited about it. Not going to be a billion dollar Venom film. Venom 3. Captain America oh. is not going to be a billion dollar film. Marvel's isn't going to be a billion dollar film. What else do you say? Venom 3. But that's Sony. That's Sony. Oh, yeah, yeah, but. That's, so, uh, so if we're talking about the MCU, and, and listen, I'll tell you right now, right now I wouldn't even put money on Kang Dynasty making a billion dollars. There's so much drama going on right now. It's it's crazy. But yeah, Deadpool 3, I think, is the foregone conclusion. All right, what's next? From Amin, what is the possibility that Dune and Aquaman 2 can swap release dates? Both are WB. Dune has already had the main marketing done, and Aquaman could use some extra time for more polish. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to look for any possibility to see Dune 2 get moved up. Aquaman does not need more time for polish. Look, George Lucas once said it best. There comes a dividing point when you're like, everybody just seems to think the longer you have to work on a movie, the better the movie will be. That is not true. Every project and piece of art, you get to a point where, you know, Lucas referred to as a dividing point. You get to a point in making a movie where if you just keep working on it or a script, if you just keep working on it, it's ultimately going to start to get worse. Like you get to a creative head with your project and it's like, this is the best your project's going to be. And if you just keep meddling in it, if you keep like trying to mess around in it and you keep going to add that extra two or 3%, you actually end up making it worse. That is something that Aquaman's been facing. Because remember these stories, and these are not stories from Gus's, you know, gas station movie reviews dot fart sites. These were stories coming from Deadline and Variety and The Wrap talking about how there was a test screening, didn't do great. They changed some things, did enough test screening, more test screening, and the test screening was worse. You know, I think the movie they've got is the movie they've got. They cannot swap release dates because they are just too close to when Aquaman's supposed to come out. They've already been investing money in promoting, locking in that date, marketing that date, all that kind of stuff. So, no, I, I don't see Dune 2 moving no. back to the date. Not to mention, you know, we're already in October, basically. A couple of days is going to be October. They're going to want to re with the number of big, huge, major stars in Dune. They're going to want a months long kind of campaign with That's them out the there doing that stuff. And they're just not prepared for it right now. They want them on Kimmel. They want them on Fallon. They want, they want everything. a full push. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they simply don't have time right now to mount a truly full marketing ad campaign. Um, just so you'd be talking about like with like two months to go. Yeah, it's just not, not enough, enough time for it. No. So no, I don't suspect they'll swap. And things. I have a feeling they want to leave the DCEU in 2023 yeah. and, and move forward. All right. What's next? 
from Simon. Just came out of the theater after watching The Creator and loved it. Not the best movie of the year, but top five for sure. What did you guys think of it? Love the show mm-hmm. and keep bringing on the filthy. Yeah, well, we, we addressed it early. Again, I, I don't think it's one of the best movies of the year. I certainly don't think it's one of the great all-time cinematic sci-fi classics that some people were making out to be, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I had a really good time with that movie. I wholeheartedly recommend the movie. I think most people are going to really quite enjoy it. Visually, it's just gobsmackingly beautiful. Like, I can't believe visually how beautiful it is. Great performances. Really enjoyed the film. All right, what's next? From Red One Real Talk, Todd McFarlane shared that his latest version of the Spawn script is near the finish line. I'm 28 now, and it feels like he's been talking about this project since I was in middle school. Yeah. So do any of you think a studio will roll the dice and actually make this film? No. No, I've said that for a long time. I don't think, listen, I said probably five years ago, I said, I I don't see this project getting made. And here we are five years later, still don't have it. Um, Then the stories came out, like, like, I remember what really killed it, I think. And Todd McFarlane's a good Canadian kid. So, you know, I, I like to root for my good fellow, good Canadian kids. But I remember a couple of years ago when he came out and he made this big, brash, ballsy statement saying, I'm not going to let studios be in control of what happens. I'm going to control this movie and I'm going to write it and I'm going to direct it. It's like, you've never fucking directed anything in your life. What do you think you know about directing that that that's going to make this all happen, right? And we're going to do it my way. He did his best Frank Sinatra. My way! Like, it's going to be my way and that's it. It's like, what have you ever done and put on screen that's worth shit? And... (laughs) And I think that made all, and like then well the story, then, like, mm-hmm. Ben McFarlane himself <laughs> told the story about how, well, it's it's funny. All these studio people are like recoiling at my script, probably because there's something wrong there. They ain't going to work on screen. I, I, look, the only path forward I see for this Spawn project to ever actually happen is number one, McFarlane agrees not to direct. And then number two, you're going to have to accept notes from the studio because as much as most people like to pretend this isn't reality, the reality is that normally leads to the best movies. Peter Jackson will tell you so. Um, Like it just taking notes from people who are experienced in the business. It's not always great, but you got to be a little bit more open to collaboration and from people who have done this a lot longer than you have. Um, Unless he's willing not to, be the director of it. I, I, I don't know what studio is going to say. Okay, here's $80 million. <laughs> I don't think anybody's, I don't think anybody cares about this movie. I'll be honest with you. I really don't, but who knows? We'll see. All right. We got time for two more. What's next? From kayak, John, I'm flying to your ancestors land this Sunday. <laughs> We're sailing around Sardinia. Nice. I make sure to, I'll make sure to drink a glass of fine wine for you guys. Wish me luck. Now what guy's talking about is of course I am Italian. Uh, and man, I, 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 man, I'd love to take a, t- a trip to Italy. Uh, so for those of you, sometimes you'll hear people say Gio or something like that. My actual real name is Giovanni. That's, that's my name. I'm named after my grandfather. Um, I'm jealous, man. Totally, totally jealous. Go visit Calabria. Have a good time. I hope you have a great one. All right. Last question of the day. What's next? From CJ Rebirth. Who's in charge of having X song appear in a certain movie scene? Example, Ain't No Mountain High Enough near the end of the first Guardians movie and Earth Angel in Back to the Future. That is always 100% the director's decision. Always the director's choice, always the director's decision. Um, I mean, look, a writer can put that in scripts, right? I have a buddy of mine, WGA member, screenwriter, and he kind of wrote his version of what's the... 
Great. Uh, um, on tour with the band movie uh, out. Uh, Almost Famous? Almost Famous. Thank you. Like this buddy of mine, WGA member wrote basically his version of Almost Famous. Right. Clearly it's not a ripoff of it. It was clearly inspired by it. And like very specifically wrote into the script, the songs that they wanted. Now that script never got optioned, but if it did, I'm sure a director would come in and say, yeah, that's perfect for that. But ultimately the director decides that that's the song that we're going to use here or not. The director will might decide, okay, yeah, you have it in the script that you want this song to go with it, but you know, I think this song would be better. Now, quite often you get a situation like a James Gunn where he wrote Guardians and directed it. So whatever he put into the script, he's going to have. Can I also just say one of the best musical choices for a song placement in a movie was this year in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 with Florence and the Machines, The Dog Days Are Over. At have the you end of seen it? the video of her seeing it for the first time? No, I did not. Yeah. It's wonderful where she just is like, <gasps> like, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's, it's like the perfect it's song so well done. for that scene. I mean, yeah, it does seem every like everybody at Nowhere really got over how many hundreds of their fellow Nowhere citizens just got murdered. But other than that, this this whole tone, sense of celebration and all that kind of stuff, it it was pretty wonderful. It was a bang on part of that. So yes, at the end of the day, it's, it's the director. Have you uh, heard anything different on that, Chris, about who makes those choices? Well, sometimes you have music supervisors. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. that if, if, if you need to get over that, like not everyone can be a director, but there is entry level music supervision with studios and yeah. stuff. You can get, it's actually how I got into this industry. I was chasing after becoming a music supervisor until I realized editors have even more power in in storytelling. Yeah. And so I just, my lust for power drove me to editing. <laughs> my <laughs> lust for power. Yeah. But, but music supervision is great. And, and actually on more independent films, a music supervisor will have more power on the music that is selected, but the bigger films, then yeah. obviously you have more red tape. But, to it's, but with TV. ultimately like in anything in a movie, the director makes final decision. Like yeah. you have yeah. casting, you have casting directors and sure. Yeah. They do casting, but the director has to approve all the casting and accounting too, because sometimes music supervisors are going to be like, Ooh, this would be a great song. They're like, Ooh, licensing is too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the director may say, I want this song. And the music supervisor gonna have to go. Exactly. That's going to cost us, you know, $800,000 to have yeah. that song. That's why I was shocked because you never do. It's almost an unwritten rule. You don't use Beatles music in your music, in your movies mm -hmm. or whatever. And when Mad Men ended one, of, I can't remember which episode it was. It was one of their like great episodes Ended it with a Beatles song. I'm like, that's like half a million dollars just yeah. for that song. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members for being YouTube channel members and for sending in those great topics. Also, big thank you to all you guys who decided to join us live today and say hello. I want to thank Ray Ora. Have a good weekend. Jonathan Voico. See you later. Chris Carr. Bye. My name's Sean Campy, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Have a marvelous weekend. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.